We are going through a series um, and spending a lot of time in the book of Exodus. And one of the things that I'm learning as we've been studying uh, God's deliverance of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, 400 years they're under this bondage, and and God is wanting to lead them out, to to bring them into his presence, to to lead them out of the very thing that held them in bondage, and and then to take them and to lead them to his side that they might worship and serve him. <clears throat> One of the things that I'm learning is through this is that God, his desire for us is to wait on him. And, and how many of you just, you just feel stressed out? You just feel like there's always something else that comes up in our life that just constantly is vying for our attention and, and pulling at us. And, and that last song we sang, it was just like the Lord was just impressing in my heart that we just need to wait on him, that, that, that we need to know that the most important thing in our life is not that we get everything checked off. It's so hard because we live in a life that we've got to check the box off. We've got to check, and then we feel like we've accomplished something, right? And it's not that we shouldn't do well at, at our jobs or try to be successful or do the best that we can for the Lord. I, I think that's a good desire but I think one of the things that we can so easily miss in our lives is knowing God for who he is and just sitting in his presence and knowing that God is real and that the one thing that God desires from us more than anything else is that we know him and that we desire him and that we're in his presence. And, and I, I do believe that when we find God and we're in his presence, it's like everything else just seems to, to, to melt away. Everything else just seems to, to, to be put in its right perspective. So you might be here today and you know, might just say, Pastor Barden, I am just, I'm at my wit's end today. I'm really struggling. I've, I'm being pulled in a million different directions. And my prayer for you this morning is that as we discover God's word, that you would come to his side and that you would realize there's a place that God desires us to be. That the one thing, the one thing that he desires from us is that we would be at his feet, that we would find that place of worship. Not that I've checked off my box because I did my daily devotions or I read my Bible. How many of you have ever done that? You read your Bible, you got done with it, and you say, okay, that's done. And you move on to the next thing. And it's like three hours later, you're like, what did I just read? Did, did, did I even do my devotions? Did I even read the Bible? And the one thing that God desires more than anything else is that we're found at his feet. And that we find pleasure in who he is. So what I want us to do is, I just want us to close our eyes for a moment. And we're going to pray. And I just want us to take a deep breath and just, and just let God work in our hearts this morning. As, as we, I believe that God's word is, is all authority. It's perfect. It's inerrant. And it shows us to the heart of God. I believe that the word of God is the word of God. Every single bit of it is God's word. And so as we, as we dig into God's word, I, I want it to be refreshing to your souls today. As the deer panteth for the water, so my heart, my heart longeth for you, God. And so let's just take a moment, because I know there's, our brains can get so cluttered with a million different other things, right? And, 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 and coming to church can just be another checklist in, 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 your, in your daily routine. But let's just take a minute, let's just close our eyes And let God speak to us today. Thank you, Lord. God, as we just come to you today, 
We want to thank you for your word. Your word is precious. And so, Lord, I pray today that as we dive into your word, as we see your plan for Israel and how you deliver them out of Egyptian bondage, Lord, I pray that we would see in the story today that this is us, that your desire for us today is to lead us out of those things that hold us captive, that cause anxiety and fear to rule our lives, where, God, those things are not part of your plan, that we can find a peace in Christ that this world cannot give, knowing that Jesus has provided everything for us. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning that you would speak to every heart. Lord, you know what every single person's going through today, and I pray that you would meet them personally today as we just open up your word. We thank you for it today, and we just give you the glory. In Jesus' precious name, in Jesus' precious name, and all God's children said, amen, amen. If you got your Bibles, I want you to, to, to turn to Exodus chapter 12. This is the part that we're in today, and uh, I, I want you to see this morning that, you know, if you watch the Ten Commandments with Charles and Heston, we, we have this kind of idea of what, of what Exodus is all about. And many times we'll say, well, I know what it's all about, you know, God, you know, takes the Israelites out of bondage and the plagues, and then he, you know, leads them, you know, through the Red Sea, and he takes them out to the wilderness, and there's Mount Sinai, and there's Moses with the tablets, and I, 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 I kind of get it. I get it. You know, I, I get the story, but I want you to see something here. That, that actually the story of Exodus is a story actually about us. And I think the problem is if we just take those stories and disconnect them from the whole story of the Bible, we'll miss the whole point. And I want you to see something. The story of Exodus is the fulfillment of who Jesus Christ is. The story is about us today. It's not some separate thing of, oh, Israel, you know, so many years ago, and they messed up, and they did a lot of wrong things. I'm glad I'm not like them. Actually, they're a lot more like us than we think. And so I want to put this connection. I want to I connect the dots for you today to show us that God actually draws us out of our Egypt, out of our slavery. It's a story about us. Egypt symbolizes sin and hopelessness that it brings. But God draws us out of Egypt and actually draws us to himself where we would find rest and most importantly, a relationship with him. And, and it will show us how he actually will shape us into the people that he desires. And so what he does is he takes us out of this rat race, out of this trying to please the world and everybody else, and he takes us to himself. He says, okay, now I want to bring you rest. I want to show you what real rest is in me. And so that's, that's the story of Exodus. So I want to jump into the word here. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 12. You can look at the screens also. We're going to look at the first 13 verses here. This is the story of the Passover. So what's happened is we've gotten through these. And we talked about this last. We've gotten through the nine plagues. This is the last plague. And so this is the plague where God is actually going to release his people out of Egyptian bondage and then bring them into the wilderness, eventually bring them and faces the Red Sea before the Red Sea parted. We'll talk about that next week. But I want to look at this Passover and what it means for them and how it's connected to us today. So let's see what the word of God says. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be 
is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And if any household is too small for the whole lamb, they must share it, share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people who are there. They're to determine the amount of the lamb needed in accordance with what, with what each person will eat. <clears throat> the animal you choose must be a year old male without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of their house where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with with bitter herbs and, and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloaks tucked into your belt, which means be ready, be prepared, be ready to move. Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, eat in haste, eat quickly. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, on the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destruction, no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Thank goodness for the word of the Lord right there. That gives us a lot of hope today. And so I'm, we're going to connect the dots here and see what this means for you and I today. So here we, here we, we discovered last week and we were looking at these plagues and the purpose of the plagues. And I want you to first understand, here's the purpose. Why, why did God, you know, why, didn't he just, why do you have to go through the first night? Why don't you just get to the 10th one and be done with it? And what we discovered last week is the plagues would demonstrate God's power and his power over the gods of what? Egypt. So methodically, he would show them, they're not where your strength comes from. I'm over all of it. I'm over all of creation. I am the Lord. There is no other. And so what was the purpose of the nine plagues? The purpose of it was that God was going to show Pharaoh who truly is God. Remember, this, was a, this wasn't a battle. We think this was a battle between Moses and Pharaoh. No, it wasn't. This was actually a battle between Pharaoh and God. The conflict would be between God and Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh is the one who asked, who is the Lord and why should I obey him? I don't know who he is. I'm the king here. I'm the ruler here in Egypt. I'm the most powerful man in in the world. Um, I don't know who your Lord is and why should I obey him? And so what God would do is God would answer that question for Pharaoh And he would answer that in chapter 9. Exodus 9, 15, and 16 says this. God answers Pharaoh's question by saying this. 
For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence. And you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Let me just say this. We may look at the world today and say, what's going on? Is God really in control? God is going to show who he truly is. God is ultimately sovereign and in control over all the events that are going on. We don't have to worry. We understand because we see scripture. We see God's hand moving. So we don't have to worry about that. We see God's sovereignty. So what God is going to show Pharaoh is I'm in control of all of this, not you. And so the last plague would actually be devastating for Egypt. This would bring death to all the firstborn males and animals. And so what's the purpose of this plague? I, I, want, I want us to see something here because is it simply God's judgment over Egypt? D- did it have to come to this in order for Pharaoh to change his mind? There is something much, much greater going on here. And this is where I don't want us to miss it because this is where if we take ourselves out of this picture, we miss the whole, we miss the whole point because many times we'll look at this destruction and we'll look at God's judgment in Egypt and we'll say, oh, well, that was just God's judgment on Egypt. And finally it convinced Pharaoh to say, let my people go. God had a plan for this from the beginning of time. The Passover would set a president's force from that time on, on how we would approach God and know him as the Lord. The Passover is vital for us to understand more than just God's judgment, which it was, but it's for you and I today. This Passover would show us how we could even come close to God. Listen, we have this mistake of thinking, well, it was God's judgment just on Egypt. Guess what? Israel was just as sinful as Egypt. So if we take ourselves up here, well, I'm not as sinful as them, or I'm not as sinful as my neighbor. Guess what? We all stink, okay? (laughs) To put it nicely, I love all of you, okay? We're all sinners, And we're all objects of God's wrath. God is perfect. Nothing unholy can come in God's presence. So what God does is he shows them a pattern of how he will save them. Not so much of just God's judgment, which it is, but also how this saves us. The Passover shows us how we are saved from God's judgment. This is beautiful. I hope this gives you hope today to realize that when we are covered under God's protection, we have nothing to worry about. And so what God does is he gives them this plan. So what's going on here? Well, this goes back to Genesis, the first book of the Bible. There's something that we must understand in the human condition. This is the prognosis. We are terminally sick. Every single one of us are sickos. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a sicko. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Don't do that. Um, See, what the problem is, is all of us are born in Adam. And because of the rebellion of Adam and Eve, we're brought under judgment. Because we rebelled against God. And the result of that is death. And so here's the prognosis. The prognosis, we are all born as slaves to sin. Sin is our master. It's our owner. 
And so this is what Egypt represents. It represents slavery and sin. The, the Israelites were under that bondage. They couldn't get out of it on their own. They, they, they cried out. God heard their cries. They couldn't get out of this bondage. No matter how hard they would try, they couldn't get out from under the bondage of Egypt. And so this is symbolic of our sin. There's no way that we can get out from underneath it in our own strength. The Bible describes the result of sin is death. This is the penalty. The penalty is we're all going to die one day. Doesn't that just make you feel warm and fuzzy, right? But the result of sin is death. And every single one of us will have to face it. There's nothing in our own strength that we can do to overcome that diagnosis It's our fault. It's our doing. We rebelled against God. And just like Pharaoh, we are like Pharaoh. He refused to listen. He refused to repent. And because of that, he had to face God's judgment. So you see kind of two things going on. You see the hardness of Pharaoh's heart refusing to repent and believe. And then you see God providing a way out of his judgment for his people who would trust him by faith and do what God told them to do. So just like Pharaoh, he didn't listen. He refused to repent. Because of that, he faced God's judgment. Now, I want you to understand something here. God in his grace and mercy promised to free us from the penalty of death. And here's where the good news comes in. And so when God does something in us. When God shows us the way, he says, I want to show you how you can be free, but you have to follow my way. And so what he does is he chooses, the Bible says he chooses Israel, not because they're anything special or better than anyone else. God sovereignly chooses Israel and he calls them his firstborn. Through Israel, and people say, well, why did he pick I? Just sovereignly chose them. And so through them, God is going to show us how he's going to redeem us. So what God does is catch this. God says, Israel is my firstborn. And he would redeem and free them to be his people. And it would be through this that God would ultimately show us his plan of redemption. Which from that line would ultimately come Jesus Christ. God's very own son, who is God. So I want to show you something here. Why did God want Israel to be free? Well, if you go back to Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 and 23, God explains why he wanted Israel to be free. And this is what he says. He says, then you should say to Pharaoh, when he's asking them to, you know, Moses says, listen, you're going to let my people go. You need to let them go and worship God in the desert. And so he says, then you shall say to Pharaoh, and here's God's instructions. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. They are mine, not yours. And I will say to you, let my son go that he may do what? Worship. Worship. And what's the word there that we see? Serve. Same word. We're going to look at that in a minute. So that he may serve me. If you refuse to let them go, behold, I will do what? Kill your firstborn son. Now, do you see the connection there? Because they're like, well, what, what, why, what's the deal with a firstborn? What's the deal there? Because Israel was God's firstborn son. He's saying, if you don't let them go, this is my judgment upon you. 
I will kill your firstborn son. The word serve there is very interesting because it's the same root meaning as Ruth just yelled out for worship. Good job, Ruth. You did your homework. You get your gold star for the morning. Okay. So here's what God is saying. Catch this. Pharaoh is saying, no, 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 no. They are mine. They're going to serve me. They're going to worship me. They're going to know who's in charge. I'm in charge, not you. The word serve there is very interesting because what God is saying is Israel is not to serve you or work for you or worship you. You do not have dominion over my firstborn. I have a purpose for them and I'm going to carry out my plan and you're not going to stop me. So Israel is called God's firstborn son because he made a promise to Abraham that he would lead them to the land promised to the forefathers. And because of that, they were God's special possession. Were they perfect? No. Did they make a lot of mistakes? Yes. But he would work through them to accomplish his purpose. Even though Israel was the firstborn of God, this did not give them a pass. Check this out. So here we go. They would need to obey God to actually come under his protection. And this is what makes the Passover so powerful because God would do for them what they couldn't do for themselves. And so through the Passover, God would save Israel to actually establish a pattern of redemption. I'm going to take you out of this thing. I'm going to purchase you back to myself so that you may serve and worship me. So I want you to look at your life this way. I want to look at your life. And many times we look at our past and we say, how in the world can God use that? I've made so many mistakes. I've done so many wrong things. Here's the power in that message. That God can take something that was messed up, that made a lot of bad choices, and then he redeems it through his son, Jesus, for his glory and for his purposes. I'll tell you what. I love hearing stories of people in their past and how God has changed them and saved them for his purposes and his glory. Yeah, I was this way. I made a lot of mistakes, but you know what? God, through his grace and his mercy, saved me through his son, Jesus, and I'm not like that anymore. Do I make mistakes? Yes, but God took that and he redeemed it and now uses it for his glory and for his purposes. I'll tell you what, I love hearing stories like that. I, I don't relate to people who have perfect lives. I just don't because I'm not perfect, right? When you hear somebody that has a perfect life, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm horrible, Right? And you think how bad you are, right? I just don't relate to that. And, and really, they're, if you get into their lives, they're not so great anyways, right? So, so we're all a mess. And God takes the messiness and he says, I'm going to use you for my glory. I'm not, I'm not asking you to come and be this perfect person. If that were the requirement, we would all fail miserably, wouldn't we? And so God says, no, I want you to come to me. Allow me to redeem you and to use you for my purposes and, and my glory. And so here we see that even though Israel was, was firstborn of God, he didn't give them a pass. And so here's the powerful thing. This pattern of redemption is clearly seen in the book of Exodus. 
So why is the Passover, why is this so important? Why was it important for them to kill this lamb, to this perfect lamb without defect, a year old, to, to, to place the blood on the door frames and the house? What, does the, what in the world, does, why, pastor, what does this all mean? It's more than just God's judgment, which it is. And here's what I want you to see. Why is the Passover so important? Let me give you a couple of reasons here. First of all, the reason why the Passover is so important, it's not just about God's judgment. It was about redeeming Israel out of sin, out of Egyptian bondage. So here's a couple of reasons. First of all, Israel couldn't save herself. So understand, Israel, there's no way she could save herself. She was in this bondage. She, she couldn't save herself. She couldn't get out. And that's why she called out to God. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't care where you are. You don't have to be in church to call out to God. You can be in or you can be in your car and say, man, I've messed up so much. God, I call on your name. I need you to save me. You can be in your bedroom. You can be in a bar and just say, God, I know I'm not, man, this is messed up. This is what I, and I'm just, this is wrong. A drunken stupor is wrong. God, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to call out to you. And you know what? Right at that point, God can save you. I don't care where you are. That's the power of the salvation of God for anyone who calls upon the Lord. So Israel couldn't save herself. So she called out to God. The second thing I want you to see, there's Israel would need to trust God for their salvation. In order for them to bring them out of this Egyptian bondage, they're going to have to trust the Lord for their salvation. And the third thing I want you to see there is the Passover sacrifice would find its completion in Jesus Christ. So what God does is he instructs Israel, I'm I'm going to send the last plague of death, and this is what will save you, and you must follow my instructions. Take a year-old lamb without defect. At twilight, they were instructed to kill the lamb, and they were to take the blood, apply it to the door frames of their home where they actually ate the lamb. And so God's judgment would sweep through Egypt, However, we're instructed and we see in the word of God that it would pass over the homes with the blood. So the judgment of God would literally pass over the people who were under the blood. Now, I want you to notice something here. Israel deserved God's judgment as much as the Egyptians. See, if, if God were actually kind of setting them free from some type of political tyranny, um, they wouldn't need to worry about his judgment they would be actually seen as innocent. But the fact of the matter is this, they were also sinners deserving death. And so as God says, I'm going to provide for you a way out of my judgment that's going to set a pattern through the rest of scriptures. See, the blood was placed on the door to appease God's standard of holiness. There had to be a penalty paid for our sin. We just can't come into God's presence and say, here I am, God, how you doing, right? God says, no, because I'm holy and you are not. There had to be a price. God set this standard that something had to die because of our sin. That's why Jesus died. Because we were sinners. Jesus didn't die at the hands of men. That was in God's will. God used that for his purposes because God knew the only way that we could be redeemed if his son died 
for our sins in our place. It's the substitutionary death of Christ that saves us. What a wonderful Savior we have. So thankful for Jesus. And so the blood is placed on the door to appease God's standard of holiness. And so God's judgment would pass over because the blood was a sign that a sacrifice had been made. Now, there's a point here I want you to see. Tim Chester makes this great point. He says, the blood is dabbed around the door, not because God can't tell who's inside. It's not, it's not God can't tell who's inside. It's for this reason. Because he can. But God knew that there were sinners inside. See, the lamb becomes a substitute that a sacrifice had been made, which appeased God's holiness, which God says, now I can pass over this home because they are no longer objects of my wrath because a sacrifice had been made. See, we try our whole lives by trying to be good and better. It's not good enough. Your goodness will never be good enough before a holy God. And so what God says to you and I today, I've provided everything for you in my son. That when you're under the covering of my son and his blood, you are no longer objects of my wrath, but you're actually my friends now. Now, does that mean I'm going to do everything perfect the rest of my life? No, I'm going to make mistakes today, tomorrow, next week. I'm, you know, I just will. And you will too. But my position is different now. Because I'm under a covering that I can confess my sins to the Lord. And he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Now, my position goes to one being an object of God's wrath, to one under the covering of his son and what he's done for me. Because I have put my faith in him. I've put my covering as Jesus Christ over my life. That's what makes a relationship with Jesus Christ so powerful. See, the lamb becomes this this this. This substitute, a sacrifice has been made. This is the pattern in order to find forgiveness. And God could not overlook sin. A payment had to be made. But I want you to understand something here. This sacrifice was just a temporary covering for God's judgment. And so this pattern you're going to see in the Old Testament is this pattern of offering sacrifices, offering sacrifices. And it was just a pattern to show that there need to be a more perfect sacrifice, a once and for all sacrifice. And that's what we would ultimately see in Jesus Christ. So here's the fulfillment. This is what's so powerful about the Passover lamb because it means everything for you and I. And I want you to see something here. We too are just like Israel. We live in Egypt and we're under the bondage of sin. So don't, don't take yourself out of the story. Put yourself right into the story here and realize we too are just like Israel, that we live in Egypt, that we live under the bondage of sin, that we serve sin, and there's no way that we can overcome it in our own strength. And so Pharaoh has them under his heavy hand that they couldn't overcome without God. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that the wages of sin is death. But the lamb at the first Passover points to a perfect lamb who would once and for all be a payment and a penalty for our sin. The first Passover lamb points to a perfect true substitute that would pay the ultimate price for us. Same verse in Romans 6.23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's the point. Jesus ultimately would become our Passover lamb. 
Jesus would be the fulfillment of that first Passover lamb. You see, the first Passover lamb broke Israel's bond to slavery that they might serve and worship God. So what it does is it breaks this servanthood to Egypt. The Passover lamb breaks that bondage. What did God say? Pull up your cloaks, put your Nikes on, put your running shoes on and get ready to move. Because once I move through, I want you to move because this is your sign that you're going to move out into the wilderness so that you may serve and worship me. You are no longer in bondage. You are no longer slaves. You are now mine because of what? Because of the Passover lamb. Their whole identity changed. This is, this is what I love about Jesus Christ. That our whole identity now changes from one who lives in Egypt to one who now lives and can serve God. I am no longer that person anymore. I'm no longer under that, that, that bond of sin anymore. I am now a new creation in Christ Jesus. So the first Passover lamb broke Israel's bond to slavery that they might serve and worship God. And so Jesus, our Passover lamb, breaks the bond of sin and God's judgment over our lives that we might serve and worship God. Amen. So here's the fulfillment of Jesus. So, so I love John one twenty nine says, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward, towards him. And what does is, what is, what is, what is John say here? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who does what? There's the fulfillment right there. There's the fulfillment. I want look at 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. He says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. But how was it paid? It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Here's the thing. I love, I love how Peter calls it. I love how Peter calls it um, the, the precious blood. We don't necessarily see blood. blood it is, pre- isn't it? It's vital for our lives. We don't like to see it. We don't like to cut it, right? When we get bloody, it's like, ooh, gross, right? And I, I just pass right out. I just, I see blood, I'm done. I'm, I'm out, right? I'm out for the count. I'm very appreciative to doctors who can see all that. But I love how Peter describes The blood of Christ is precious. See, I I want you to see something that we have a very beautiful cross here. Someone made that for us. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's it's very sanitized. It looks nice. But really, the cross was very bloody. It's a place in Golgotha where Jesus goes to hang on a cross and literally shed his blood for you and I as the perfect lamb of God. It's a gruesome scene for the very reason because Jesus was paying the penalty for our sin. But on the very same token, you see this gruesome scene, but on the very same token, it's precious because it's only through his sacrifice that we can now be made whole, that we can be healed, that we can be set free from sin. So it is, it is precious. Christ as the lamb of God takes his blood 
And he applies it over our lives that we are now covered from God's judgment. The Passover was something Israel would remember. And God tells them, I want you to do this the same time every year. I want you to celebrate the Passover. God wanted them to pass this along from generation to generation to generation to never allow them to forget. The Passover would shape their identity. They are no longer slaves. They are people who belong to God. God never wanted them to forget that it was him who brought them out of Egypt. This is why we're taking communion two weeks in a row. I know we always take communion. Probably think we're taking communion again. We just took communion last week. It's okay. We could do communion every week if we wanted to. Right? It's, it's, it's not how much you take it. It's how we're taking it. So I talked with our lead usher and I, I said, Dan, can, I, I know it's late in the week. Can we just take communion? Because I can't speak this message and not take communion. I can't do it. Because I want us to realize this is what communion is all about. Jesus is at this Passover meal and he takes the bread, he takes the cup, he says, do this in what? Do this in remembrance of me. Everything that's provided for you is provided right here. It's a symbol, it's a remembrance of what Jesus Christ provided for you and I through his body and through his blood. And so Jesus told, told them, and he tells us, whenever you do this, you are to remember communion shapes who we are and it gives us an identity as followers of Jesus Christ. When you take this, you're saying, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in you. I believe what you did for me. And you may be here today and you may not be in that place with a relationship with Christ. I just want to tell you, we're going to pray in a minute and you can be. There's no formal thing that you have to go through. It's just you call out on the Lord. You put your faith in the only one who can save you, and that's Jesus Christ. And by all means, feel free to take communion as part of the family of God because we're recognizing what Jesus Christ did for us. Communion reminds us that through Christ, we are now dead to sin. It no longer has its reign in our lives, that we are no longer under condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus there is no more condemnation so if you're feeling this guilt and condemnation because of your past you need to come under the come under the blood of Jesus Christ to allow him to heal you and to cleanse you that you are no longer your identity now changes from one that was condemned and guilty to one who is now healed and freed in Jesus name under his power As in the Passover meal, we drink the cup, we break the bread, and we remember. Communion reminds us that we are no longer slaves to sin. So here's here's what I want us to do as we take communion today. Is that for those of you that are here, a couple things. As we pray... And you're saying, Pastor, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus. But I, I want to follow him because I believe what the word of God says. You put your trust in him. By all means, take communion with us. 
Some of you here today and you're saying, well, Pastor, I'm a believer, but man, my, I, I am so attached to my past and the guilt of my past that it's really just, it haunts me. It, it beats me up. Sometimes I lay in my bed late at night. I just think and I just, I just, it just beats me up. I want you to realize that when you take communion, what you're saying is I'm no longer under that bondage anymore. I'm no longer under that condemnation. I am a follower of Christ. My identity is now in Jesus. Allow that healing and peace to flow over your heart to give you a new identity of who you are in Jesus. That's why Jesus said to keep doing this because how many know we forget, right? And so we need to be constantly reminded of who we are in Jesus Christ that that old person is dead and no longer lives. That Christ now lives in me. That's a, good, that's a good place to be. That's exactly where God wants us. So let me pray for you, and we're going to take communion together, and we're going to worship and just focus on what Christ has done for us. So let me pray for you as the ushers come and as they serve you. We'll take communion together as the family of God and celebrate what Christ has done. This is a celebration of what Jesus Christ has done. So it's, it's okay to be happy and joyful for what Jesus did. Amen? And uh, thanking him for what he's done for us. So, Lord, as we come before you today, Lord, I pray for anyone here who has not entered in that relationship with you, has not come under your headship. I pray for them now, God, that they, by faith, would reach out to you. Thank you that anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, saved from your judgment. I thank you for that. I pray that you would do that for every heart that's calling out to you. Now, I pray for those here, too, that are just... Living under the past and under that bondage, I pray that as we take communion today, that you would lift that off them and show them who they are in Jesus Christ. I pray as we take communion together that you would just bring our church together. Thank you that it unites us as the body of Christ because of what you've done for us. And so with that, help us to serve each other, help us to serve you with joy and thanksgiving because of what you've done for us and the grace that you poured out upon us. We thank you for this time. As we worship you, let us reflect on your goodness and what you've done for us as the, as the true and perfect Lamb of God. We love you, we thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.